I remember there was a blizzard blowing in on the Texas Panhandle one day and my dorm parent, Mr. Chandler, came to me with a sledgehammer. And he said, darling, I need you to drive to the other side of the ranch and bust the water trough for the horses. And I said, Mr. Chandler, I don't want to go. It's cold out there. The wind's blowing. It's a blizzard. I'll never forget Mr. Chandler. He looked at me with that old country wisdom and he said, darling, do you get thirsty when it's cold? I said, yes, sir. He said, don't you think those horses get thirsty too? I said, yes, sir. Drove my five miles that day and I busted the water trough for the horses. And I looked at this man in Fort Worth, Texas, and I said, I'm gonna tell you what separates our kids from everybody else. Because in the world of agriculture, if we don't do our job, something dies. If we don't feed it, if we don't water it, and we don't care for it, it dies. And when it does, an economy dies, a society dies. And I said, that's the core values we're in putting into these young people at a very young age that they will carry with them for the rest of their lives. is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Aaron Alejandro, Executive Director of the Texas FFA Foundation. Hey, Aaron, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm excited about this. And by the way, I love your title. The Chief Troublemaker part? I love that. That's great. Well, we had a chance to prep. You probably have figured out I'm a troublemaker. <laughs> this world needs more people to disrupt things a little bit. So you're doing great. Yeah. You know, the only client that doesn't like that title is the Chiefs of Police. <laughs> So, Aaron, tell us about the Texas FFA Foundation, or the foundation as you call it. Yeah, so the Texas FFA Foundation, we're just one component of what, of what we refer to as Texas Team Ag Ed, and that is the entire scope of agricultural science education and the FFA Leadership Development Program. FFA stands for? Future Farmers of America. As a former city boy, you're going to hear that story here shortly. Okay. Let's talk about what that means. So within the state of Texas, we have a Texas education agency, which has a career and technology division. And under that division, we have ag, food, and natural resources. Then we have teachers. So we have a teachers association. Then we have the FFA program, which is the leadership programs, the speaking, the judging events, all of the activity that takes place in FFA. And then you have the foundation. So I'm the development arm. I work with the corporate folks. I work mostly with the sponsors. So we each kind of stay in our lane, but our job as the foundation is to support Texas Team Ag Ed in all the different facets. And it's large, by the way. In the state of Texas, there are more than 241,000 students enrolled in ag science classes. 
FFA membership in Texas alone is in excess of 167,000. And I guess, Joanne, one of the things I'd point out here is a lot of times people think, well, that's because you got a lot of rural areas. That's not accurate. Oh. Harris County is the fourth largest city in America. That's Houston. One county in the state of Texas has more FFA members, chapters, and teachers than 25% of the United States combined. One county. Wow. So what that tells you is, is that we are definitely, ag science is part of the discussion of food. And let me say this for the listeners to put things in perspective. If I were to ask all your listeners right now to grab their chair and hang on to their chair, that chair represents all the natural resources in the world. There is no more chair. Today, that chair feeds you. In just about 20 years, that chair is going to have to feed you plus three more people. Hmm. Tell me how we're going to get there. Through ag ed. The reason I think what we do in our world is so important is because we've got some significant challenges coming in this country, in this world. And, you know, in the words of Wayne Gretzky, I like Wayne Gretzky's quotes. And, and one of his quotes that I really like is he said, you know, when asked what made him such a successful hockey player, he said, most players skate to where the puck is. I skate to where the puck is going. Right. So when I think in terms of the food challenges of this world, I would say that anybody that is engaged in food security, food supply, production, science, marketing, transportation, science, anything that touches food, I'm telling you, there's a great opportunity in the very near future because this world's going to be hungry. Wow. So it sounds like in Texas, you are teaching folks to be in agriculture and to be in other areas of the food ecosystem, as we call it. And I bet you're not just teaching Texas students, you're teaching the country and maybe the world. Am I right with those numbers of students? Well, yeah, obviously every state has an FFA association and agricultural science education. We're all in it together. Okay. Matter of fact, we helped launch a new national organization of professional development officers called LEAD. And we tried to bring our peers together to help support our state ag education and FFA. I'm always fond of saying, I guess, you know, one of the quotes that we sometimes get pinned with, my quote is this, I always tell people, if agriculture's taught me anything, it's taught me if you want to know what the future is, grow it. Yeah. I'm in the kid business because they're our future. And so the seeds we plant in kids, the seeds of understanding, the seeds of leadership, the seeds of responsibility, of tolerance, of resilience, all of those seeds that we give kids today are the adults they will be tomorrow. So, Aaron, your name is the Texas FFA Foundation Future Farmers of America. How's it going in terms of attracting kids to this field, to this profession? I guess that's part of your job. When you say you're the development arm, what are you funding? Yeah, so that's really not on my side. It's really on the local community side. But here's what I can tell you. I'm the longest serving foundation director in the United States longest serving team ag ed employee in the state of Texas. I can tell you since 2000, when I've started, there's only been one year that we haven't grown. Nice. One. And that was during COVID. And as soon as COVID passed, guess what? Our numbers spiked again. So we have consistently grown. That means that we must be doing something right. That must mean that there's something there that people are intrigued with or want to be a part of. And I also would like to think that it's because other people are paying attention saying, you know, when we're looking at future career opportunities and food shortages and food security, 
we probably ought to get some good kids in there to be focused on that kind of future. Well, congratulations on the growth. You give away, I think you said $2.4 million. Who are you giving that money away to? Yeah, so we're very fortunate in the state of Texas. We, have, I think the national FFA gives out a little over $2 million. And just within the state of Texas, we give out over $2 million. A lot of that's thanks to the, the generosity of some wonderful sponsors that invest in our kids. So we have two types of scholarships. We have academic scholarships and award scholarships. So academic scholarships are scholarships that are typically paid out over a four-year time span. And they can range anywhere from $5,000 to $20,000. And then we also have award scholarships, which are just one-time payout scholarships for proficiency areas where kids have excelled in a certain discipline. They compete and they're awarded a scholarship. So before we get into the things that the foundation is doing to thrive, and it sounds like thriving you are, Aaron, tell us about your journey to becoming executive director of the foundation. You've got a crazy, interesting story. You just opened Pandora's box. (laughs) I'm very blessed. I'm very fortunate. Let me just take you down this path. I grew up in a broken home in Dallas, Texas. I'll never forget. I was six years old. I was sick, laying on the sofa. And my dad came in and he said, I'm leaving. Where are you going? (laughs) He said, well, I'm leaving. My dad divorced my mom that day. He actually moved across the street and two doors down. If I wanted to see my dad, I could see my dad. If I wanted to see my mom, I could see my mom. I was 10 years old. I was in the fifth grade and I, I was a soccer player. And I remember I came in from a soccer game and my mom said, sit down, we need to talk. I said, what's up? He says, your father's passed away. Oh. Well, now I'm 10 years old. I don't have a dad. And there's a significant age gap between my mom and I. She had me much later in life. My mom comes from a very rural community in Louisiana. Here we are in Dallas, Texas. This is the 70s. Rock and roll was at its peak. A lot of influences were working on me. And I became very rebellious. I got into a lot of trouble. My mom tried everything. She tried the church. She tried big brothers and big sisters. Bless her heart. My mom did everything she could to try to give me a better way. Finally, one day she said, well, you didn't listen. So now I'm going to do something about it. They put me on a plane in Dallas, Texas, and flew me to Amarillo, Texas, and put me in a van and drove me 36 miles out into the country to a place called Cal Farley's Boys Ranch. And how old were you at the time? 14 years old. Okay. And my hair was down past my shoulders. It was bushy. I was maybe four foot tall, which, by the way, you should not have long, bushy hair at four foot tall. (laughs) The first thing they did was they took me down. They introduced me to this woman. Her nickname was Abdul the Butcher, and she was the barber, and she cut all my hair off. They then took me over, and they started signing me up for classes. And I remember I was sitting in the counselor's office, and this boy walked by, and he said, hey, are you the new kid? And I said, yeah, I'm the new kid. He goes, what dorm are you going to be in? I said, I'm going to be in Breadwell dorm. He goes, ooh, Breadwell. And I said, what's so ooh about Breadwell? He said, have you not met your dorm parent yet? I said, I have not. I said, who is it? They said, his name is Mr. Chandler. I said, tell me about Mr. Chandler. They said, he's about five foot nine. He weighs about 185 pounds. He bench presses over 450 pounds. And he's probably the hairiest man you've ever seen. All of a sudden, it's like that kid sees a ghost. He's gone. This big old cowboy turned the corner. He took his cowboy hat off and he said, hello, darling. He goes, my name's Winston Chandler and I'm going to be your daddy for the next four years. And my jaw hit the ground. And he said, out here, darling, you're going to take math, science, history, English. But at Boys Ranch, you don't have a choice. You got to take a vocational program. 
I had never heard of a vocation. It sounded a lot like vacation. I was like, well, sign me up for that. I want to do that. No, there are two programs at Boys Ranch. We had Skills USA, where they worked on houses and, and worked on cars. And then we had FFA, Future Farmers of America. Oh. And I remember telling Mr. Chandler, I said, Mr. Chandler, I'm from Dallas. You know, I can't wear boots. I can't be no goat roper. I can't, you know, that ag thing's not for me. And Mr. Chandler didn't give me a choice. Mr. Chandler put me in ag. Ah. And there's a reason why he did, by the way. Mr. Chandler always believed you'll never learn anything unless something depends on you. And so he wanted every one of us to have an ag job. They took me back over the dining hall. They said, say goodbye to your mom. In front of 400 boys in a dining hall in Tascosa, Texas, I looked at my mom and I said, see ya. I was a real tough guy. See ya. Of course, the Paul Harvey rest of that story is two weeks later, I'm on the phone crying, begging my mom to get me out of there. Yeah. But thank God she didn't. They put me in the FFA. I started finally focusing on what my possibilities could be. I finally started listening to some of my peers that were having some success. And I remember between my sophomore and junior year, I went to a leadership workshop and I'm that kid that sat in the back of the room and a state officer by the name of Danny Hunter came up to me and Danny said, Aaron, he goes, what are you going to do with your life? I don't know. He said, I'm 16 years old. I'll graduate and then I'll decide. He said, if you do that, it'll be too late. You better start now. I went back to Boys Ranch that year and I ran for chapter office. I was chapter treasurer. My senior year, I was chapter president. And this is chapter of the FFA? Of my local FFA chapter. I graduated high school May 21st, 1984. Nobody in my family had ever gone to college. I asked my teachers, I said, you know, I really think I need to pursue something in college. How do I do that? They said, well, you got to take an ACT or an SAT. I said, which one's easier? And they said, sign me up for the ACT. Now, if you want to watch something funny, go watch 35 Boys Ranch seniors take a standardized test. We weren't interested in our test scores. We just wanted to go to town because there were girls in town. We didn't have to work and the food was better. So the quicker we could get done with our test, the quicker we could enjoy our environment. So, Joanne, I'm ashamed to tell you that I bubbled in a 14 on my ACT. So I did not knock the top off my ACT exam. Now, I don't know how many of your listeners are hard-headed or how many of them like to argue. But they told me I could take the test again. Hmm. But I thought, no, I'll do this the hard way. So I've got a 14 on my ACT. I go to my mom. I said, Mom, nobody in our family's ever gone to college. Can you help me out? And my mom got her checkbook out and she wrote me a check for $25. So I had $25 and a 14 on my ACT. Now, I ask people all the time, what were my odds of going to college? And I always get slim to none. No way. And I said, see, that's the difference. But you wanted to go. That's the difference. Because when I was a kid growing up, you told me I could be anything that I wanted to be. You told me that my future wasn't tied to my mom's economic status or my test score. My want to is what was going to determine my future. And the only friend that I had was the blue and gold FFA jacket. Ah. And so I zipped that jacket up. And I tell people when I zip that jacket up, I look just like everybody else. You didn't know that I came from a broken home. You didn't know that I got my dinner out of a garbage can. You didn't know that I had a 14 on my ACT. You didn't know I had $25 in my checkbook. I looked just like everybody else. That means I had the same opportunity as everybody else. And you had been treasurer of a chapter. So by God, I took advantage of it. I drove my little Ford Ranger pickup truck from Amarillo down to Houston to the Astro Arena. 
And I stood on a platform and behind a podium so large you couldn't see me, I had to stand on a milk crate. And I remember I came up over the milk crate and there were 8,500 kids there. And I told them why I wanted to be state FFA president in 1985-86. I traveled four to five high schools a day, five days a week as the Texas FFA president. I went back to Texas Tech University on five scholarships. My education was paid for. Congratulations. In 1988, I went to work for a member of the United States Congress who would make a great podcast interview, by the way, Johanna. He went on to become the Grand Duke of the country of Lithuania. Oh. His name is Bill Sarpolis. Bill Sarpolis also grew up at Boys Ranch. He was also state FFA president. Wow. And uh, sitting on the back of a yellow Lithuanian school bus with America's Declaration of Independence. They wrote Lithuania's Declaration of Independence. They made him the Grand Duke. But I remember the congressman and I, we stood at Clinton's first inauguration and we're in awe. And we thought, you know, this isn't supposed to happen for people like us. But this is the country that we live in. This is the organization that gave us an opportunity. In 2000, they put together a think tank in Austin, Texas. I was at the time working with truant offenders. I was working in a boot camp and I was working with prisoners. And Aaron, what kind of think tank was it? An FFA think tank? It was an FFA think tank. I remember I left that think tank and they called me about two months later and they said, would you be interested in going to work for us? And at the time I was a single dad. I didn't want to move my children to Austin, Texas. And so I said, no, I think I'll pass. And they said, you know, in today's world where you got strong internet and good cell service, you can work from just about anywhere. So the rest is history. I took the foundation director job in 2000, and we've never looked back. The foundation started with less than $3 million, and our endowment's now over $16 million. Our programs have grown. Our sponsors have grown. I'm very proud of what's been accomplished, not just because of me, but because of the efforts of Team AgEd. I like to tell people that the essence of leadership is to plant trees under whose shade you may never sit. So when I think about what we do in our world with young people, we're hopeful that we're giving these kids some seeds that are going to grow mighty trees. For someone else to sit under the shade. Yes. So, Aaron, talk to us about how you're being successful on the fundraising side. What are you doing? I would say this. I would tell anybody, and I think this is true in business, people are drawn to vision. Have a vision so strong and so bold, people say, I want to be a part of that. That's the first thing. The other thing that you got to do is, is what separates you from everybody else? Because there's a lot of people asking for money. True. So what separates you from everybody else? So here's an example. I was pitching a proposal one time in Fort Worth to a gentleman and his HR director that had great capacity. Never forget it. Finished my presentation, took his glasses off, never smiled, not like you. He just sat there, took his glasses off. He said, Aaron, he goes, that was a fine presentation. He said, you guys in FFA, you act like you have a lock on leadership. You act like nobody else does what you do. He goes, Aaron, he goes, doesn't speech and debate teach public speaking? He goes, doesn't band teach ensemble? Doesn't sports teach teamwork? He goes, Aaron, what separates y'all's kids from everybody else? Now, anybody that knows me knows I like hard questions. That was a hard question. I looked at him. I said, I'm going to answer your question two ways. I said, number one, one day outside of my community, I was in a coffee shop. You know, the coffee shop where the old folks gather to cuss and discuss what's wrong with this country. <laughs> and they said, I'll tell you what's wrong with this country, Alejandro, is we got to get back to the basics. I said, what do you mean? They said, we got to get back to the basics, the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Right. Get back to the basics. We'll put this country back on track. 
I looked at these guys and I said, gentlemen, I mean you no disrespect, but I've worked in prisons, I've worked with truant offenders, and I've worked with juvenile delinquents. Every one of them can read, write, and do math at a functional level. I said, you're absolutely right about the three R's, though, but it's not reading, writing, and arithmetic. I would argue it's respect, responsibility, and resiliency. We have to teach a young person to respect themselves and their fellow man, to be responsible for themselves, their families, their communities, their state and country, and learn to get up when you've been knocked down. You're not all going to get a trophy. You're going to have to learn to be resilient. And I said, I think that's what we do in FFA is pretty darn good as we teach the three R's. I said, but let me be even more specific of what separates us. I remember there was a blizzard blowing in on the Texas Panhandle one day, and my dorm parent, Mr. Chandler, came to me with a sledgehammer. And he said, darling, I need you to drive to the other side of the ranch and bust the water trough for the horses. And I said, Mr. Chandler, I don't want to go. It's cold out there. The wind's blowing. It's a blizzard. I'll never forget Mr. Chandler. He looked at me with that old country wisdom and he said, darling, do you get thirsty when it's cold? Do what needs to be done. I said, yes, sir. He said, don't you think those horses get thirsty too? He said, yes, sir. Drove my five miles that day and I busted the water trough for the horses. And I looked at this man in Fort Worth, Texas, and I said, I'm going to tell you what separates our kids from everybody else. Because in the world of agriculture, if we don't do our job, something dies. If we don't feed it, if we don't water it, and we don't care for it, it dies. And when it does, an economy dies, a society dies. And I said, that's the core values we're in putting into these young people at a very young age that they will carry with them for the rest of their lives. I love the story. I hope that man wrote you a big fat check. And that story has raised millions of dollars for the Texas FFA because I give to causes. I love giving to charity. But I also like to think that what we're doing is we're providing an investor to make an investment that's guaranteed to grow. Yeah. So it sounds like the fundraising is working. And tell us about some of the programs that are really helping you thrive. You've got this scholars program. You've got elite experience program. So tell us about some of these that are really helping you to spread your education and spread your impact. Well, my philosophy has always been, if you want to be the best, train with the best. I believe that people that have strong professional networks, they're able to solve problems quicker. They're able to capitalize on opportunities quicker. I don't have to know everything, but having a strong professional network allows me to access answers quicker. So the programs that we've designed for both students and for teachers is to provide our teachers with incredible professional networks where they're hearing from subject matter experts. We want them to have connections. I can't tell you how many times students and teachers have said, well, that's the CEO of a Berkshire Hathaway company. I just thought they wrote us checks. <laughs> they really care about us. And I'm like, that's what I want you to understand. I want you to get to know them so that you feel more confident in going out and building your professional networks. So a lot of our programs are designed to give our students and our teachers next level leadership development that they might not get in their standard in teacher in service or their standard leadership program. We, we're trying to take them to the next level. Aaron, give us a sense of how many students you're supporting each year. Wow, that's a big question. I would say, number one, you got over 2,500 teachers. We're trying to do what we can to provide resources and networks to those teachers. Those teachers, again, are teaching another 241,000 kids. Ah, okay. Let me back up. Let me say it this way. And this goes for every listener in every state in the country. 
I'll use Texas as an example. There are over 3,000 high schools in the state of Texas. How many of those high schools are going to have a graduating class this year? Every one of them. So the question that I always ask the kids is, I said, what's your competitive edge? What separates you from everybody else? Because everybody's going to graduate. Everybody's going to be looking for a job, a scholarship, or an opportunity. What separates you from everybody else? You have to have a competitive edge. And I believe that leadership training that we provide in the FFA is giving these kids a competitive edge. Amazing. Hey, Aaron, before we go, during the prep, you said that martial arts has been an important part of your professional journey. And of course, that piqued my interest because martial arts has changed my life. Talk to us about how martial arts has changed your life or impacted your journey. It's interesting. You know, it's much like the FFA. So when you start in the FFA, you start as what we call a green hand. Oh. And then you become a chapter farmer. Mm. And then you can go all the way up to the state degree. And then if you really excel, you can become an American degree. And all along this pathway, there are these leadership development components. Now, think about a martial arts school. Everybody starts as a white belt. Right. But you can see the yellow belt. And then you can see the orange belt. And so you see this pathway of personal growth, skill development that takes you to the next level. So I think the martial arts are really much like life. You know, I would rather a kid get on a pathway of self-improvement, self-discipline, professional skill development than the would to see them get on a pathway of delinquency and hanging around the wrong people. You know, I tell young people all the time, I said, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Ah. Just show me who you're hanging around with. And I can pretty much tell you where you're headed. And anybody that knows me knows I'm a very straight shooter. And I will shoot straight with adults. I will shoot straight with kids. But I'll also be the first to be there to give them a hug when they need it and a kick in the tail when they need that too. Because the relationships that we have in life and the people that work to make us better Those are the people that really are planting the trees. Right. You know, speaking of people, fascinating and heartwarming to me that you remember these individuals who had a big influence on your life. Like you remember Mr. Chandler by name and think about him. So it's quite an honor for him and for the other folks who helped you along the way. So... I came home from school one time early and I shouldn't have, you know, my mom's car was in the front yard. She shouldn't have been home. And I remember going in the house and I could hear and I walked my way back to my mom's bedroom and her bedroom door was cracked and I eased it open. And I get my hat from my mom. She was a tiny woman. And there was my mom on the foot of her bed on her knees. And she was wailing out in prayer because we had nothing to eat. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget my mom saying, God, please bring us something. Please bring my son something to eat. But the words that I will never forget is she said, God, will you please just give my son an opportunity? Mm. Will you give my son an opportunity? Now, let's fast forward years later. Years later, my oldest son, Chandler. You named him Chandler after your dorm dad? So Chandler and I are working at an orphanage in Chihuahua, Mexico. And I remember asking the lady that ran the orphanage, I said, sister, I said, what do you need? Do you need food, clothing, medicine, money? You know, what can we help you with? I said, sister, what is your prayer for these children? I'll never forget what she said. She said, mister, I just pray that these kids will have an opportunity. And that's what you're doing at the foundation. So Tanner was in fourth grade. It was bring your daddy to school day. (laughs) What does your daddy do? 
Now, I live in a community with NATO pilots, doctors, police, firemen, nurses, all these really cool jobs. And then we got Chandler's daddy. He's a professional beggar. You know, he asked for money. He's like, <laughs> how am I going to describe to these fourth graders what I do? And so what I did was I went up to the front of the class and on a whiteboard, I drew a little bitty door. And I asked the fourth graders, I said, how many of y'all could get through that door? And they said, no, sir. And then I drew a really big door. And I said, now, how many of y'all could get through that door? And they said, yes, sir. I said, that's what I do. I make doors bigger. I want more kids to have more opportunities in FFA than I ever had. I want more teachers to have more opportunities in FFA than I ever had. I want more sponsors to be able to support our kids than ever in the history. And everything I just shared with you is what we're doing. And I'm only hopeful of all that because success begets success. And we want to train the people that will follow in our footsteps to say, yeah, Alejandro made a pretty decent door, but I think I can make it bigger. Because maybe that's the door that my granddaughter goes through or my grandson goes through. Maybe they become my kids' mentors. Or the next president of the United States, the next Supreme Court justice, the next CEO. It's just like your podcast. Joanne, when I saw your Thrive podcast, I was immediately intrigued. Why? Because you're providing a portal to empower other people. Why would I not want to engage with that? Somebody did that for me. Why wouldn't I want to try to do that for somebody else? Aaron, incredible interview. Very well said. I am so grateful to you for sharing your story, for sharing with us why the work of the FFA is so important. And I'll tell you, one of the best things about this podcast is meeting leaders like you, learning about all these different professions and industries, and learning about the leadership lessons that have really propelled these organizations. So thank you so much, Aaron. I hope that you will come back. Anytime. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye.